In 1 John chapter 4, I want us to pick up on something that I want to build upon today. And it says in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten son into the world, that we might live through him here in his love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. I just want to score that. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. And I wanted to draw your attention to this because I believe it's important that the love of God dwells in you. And I believe it's important that you understand this perfect love of God. So I want you to see this again in verse 12. It says, no man has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God dwells in us and his love is perfected in us. I want to encourage you to love one another. I want to encourage you to expect the indwelling presence of God in your life. And I want to encourage you to look and believe and trust in the perfect love of God. There's a reason for that. We're going to see it. Verse 13, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do testify that the father sent the son to be the savior of the world. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the son of God, God dwells in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love. And he that dwells in love dwells in God and God in him. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love cast out fear. Because fear has torment. He that fears is not made perfect in love. We love him. Because he first loved us. If a man say I love God and hates his brother. He is a liar. For he that loves not his brother whom he has seen. How can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment have we from him. That he who loves God loves his brother also. Whosoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loves him. That begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God. That we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith. Who is he that overcomes the world? But he that believes that Jesus is the son of God. And I wanted to talk to you for just a few moments today about this perfect love of God. 
I believe that men everywhere believe in God. I believe that um, there are people who encounter certain things in life, troubles in life and perplexities in life that kind of form an opinion or a theology in their minds um, that brings them to a conclusion that I don't know that I can believe in a God. I don't know because of the suffering that's in the world or the persecution that's in the world or the tragedies that we see in the world that there could really be a God. And if there is a God who allows such atrocities, I don't think I would like to meet that God because of a absolute fear. And so people of this nature call themselves atheists. I've never met an atheist, to be honest with you. Um, I've had people come to me and tell me they're atheist. And through just a few moments of talking to them about life, you quickly come to realize they're really not atheists at all, but they just don't like the way they see God managing the world. Um, and so they don't want to believe in him and they don't want to acknowledge him. Um, and I, I understand that there, there are many problems in life and difficulties in life where we wonder what God is doing and how could he love me and allow me to go through the particular things that I'm going through. And then there are agnostics who believe that there is some power behind everything, maybe some designer behind it all, but he's not really involved in his creation. He's just kind of did it and then he left it and it's just kind of going the way that it goes. Um, and then there are those that form various religions these religions are the attempts of men to appease the angry God in their mind. Most religions in their mind, God is a very angry and short tempered being. And we are to fear him and never be close to him. We are to bring sacrifices to him to somehow appease his wrath. Perhaps he'll be nice to us. Perhaps we could expect good from his hand. And so religion has been the common thing. Atheist is not that common. Agnosticism is growing, but it's still not that common. But what is really common among men is religion. Wherever you go in the world, you're going to find it. Pagan religion, organized religion, you know, self-generated religion, whatever it might be, you're going to find that there is this instinct, there is this knowing within all people that there is a God. There is somebody out there. And we know by that, that somehow and in some way we're going to be accountable to him. He's angry with us because we know we're, we've sinned. We, we know that morally we have done things in life that are not right. It's, it's not real hard to talk to any honest person and get them to admit that they've done something morally wrong. And as a result of that, they know that they're accountable to some being, some sense of justice, because we have been created in the image of God and we have this sense of justice. And so they live their whole life with great sacrifice. They live their whole life with great fear in an effort to appease the God who is angry, the God who judges, the God who really doesn't want much to do with you. Um, and he's offended with you. And so you better get your act together because if you don't get your act together, then this God eventually is going to pour wrath upon you. And if you can prevent that, do whatever you can to prevent it. 
And so in a world of billions of people, there are billions of people that are religious trying to appease the God. It's no different in the Christian religion. There are many people in the Christian religion that are trying to appease the God. He's angry and that we are convinced he's angry. And we even see in the Bible that God has expressed his anger. That we see in the Bible that God can get angry and his wrath can stir up in him. And there comes a point where God's wrath is poured out. And it doesn't go well when that happens. It doesn't go well for people or nations when God expresses his wrath. And it causes people to be afraid of God. Uh, even in the quote Christian religion we're we're afraid of God. Many of you are not real intimate with God because you are associated more with the religion of Christianity than the God of Christianity because we feel in some way <clears throat> that it's more safe for us to keep a distance <clears throat> and do our sacrifices and <clears throat> our sacrifices might be attending church and maybe giving some money and maybe going on a mission trip or helping somebody go on a mission trip or doing some good deeds and some good works. This is in every religion, whatever it might be. This is in Buddhism and Hinduism. It's, it's in Mormonism. It's in Catholicism. It's, it's, it's everywhere. Just, you know, we, we've got to make sacrifices to do good things. And there are some that even go beyond that. They might make human sacrifices or blood sacrifices or extreme affliction to their own personal bodies in order to show to God that they're really sorry for the things that they've done in their life. And, and yet God is kept at a distance because we don't really understand him. For, for practically all of history, we, we understood God through the law and the prophets and God would reveal himself through types and shadows. But that was just it. It was a type or it was a shadow. You, you can't see distinctly with a shadow. It's just a silhouette. And it's very hard to distinguish that. But we saw aspects of God through the shadows that he gave us throughout history. Throughout particular people. Whether he was showing mercy to a, a prostitute named Rahab or whether he was showing forgiveness to an adulterous king like David. We saw the silhouette of God. But overarching all of that was the thunder of God, his law. You know, and the soul that sins, it shall die. And this law that is, you know, these Ten Commandments. Just taking those Ten Commandments, the Jews have added 600 more. But just those Ten Commandments, you know, that we have, we've broken them all. We all find ourselves guilty and, and therefore, you know, oh my, you know, I, I'm guilty. I've broke the law of God and God says the soul that sins, it will die and I'm going to die. What can I do? And religion gives you the answer. And so God overarched everything with this law that men were trying to have a relationship with God through this law. But man could not fulfill the law. And so then there were those that were raised up by God that we called the prophets. And the prophets spoke to the people. And the prophets spoke to the nations. 
And the prophets called the people to repentance. And the, po- the prophets called the people to turn from their wicked ways. And the prophets told the people to serve God and to follow God and to keep the laws of God. So that it, it will go well for them and it will not go bad for them. Even as God was establishing his law, he would take half of Israel and put them on one mountain. And he would take the other half of Israel and put them on another mountain. And on one mountain, we called it the mountain of blessing. And on that mountain, that would thunder from the law of God. If we do this, we will be blessed. If we honor God, we will be blessed. If we serve the Lord, we will be blessed. If, if we keep the law of God, we will be blessed. And, and, and the people on the mountain of blessing said, amen, let it be. If we keep your law, we'll be blessed, let it be. But the other half of Israel was on another mountain that we call the Mount of Cursing. And the Mount of Cursing was, if you don't keep my law, then you will be cursed. If you don't obey me, you will be cursed. If you don't follow me, you will be cursed. If you worship other gods, you will be cursed. And Israel on that side of the mountain said, amen, let it be. I wouldn't have wanted to give a quick amen. The nobility of our heart is is that we intend to do it. Just like any married couple comes together in an altar in front of their family and their friends, and they're so excited about the beginning of their new family. They have authentic love. They know that they do. I I genuinely love this man. I genuinely love this woman. And I want to be committed and faithful until the day that we die. And so we make these incredible vows. I promise to do this. I promise to do that. I promise to be faithful. I promise to honor you. I promise to love you. I promise to cherish you. Good times, bad times, rich times, poor times, sick times, health times. It doesn't matter. We're just going to be in love and completely faithful for the rest of our life. No, you're not. No, you're not. You're not going to do it. Every one of you that have been married for a couple of days, you've already broken it. I mean, you're just not. But but we as humans, somewhere, somehow, we we just get all stirred up about these emotions in us because we understand there is a right way to live. And, And because there's this sense in us that we're good... We, we want to do the right thing. We want to be good. We, we want to be faithful in our marriages. We want to be faithful to God. And so out of that rightness and, and that desire to be right, we like to make commitments like that. We, we like to make vows like that. But God knows we don't because we're, we're naive enough to think that we can do it. But God knows that we can't. And so when God was giving us these types and shadows all through history, overarching that with the demand of the law, and then thundering through the prophets throughout the ages about repent and turn to God and and believe on the Lord and keep his words and keep his commandments and keep his statutes, that that men would would have what we would call these revivals. And, and, And in these revivals, it would be like men would humble themselves before God in sackcloth and ashes, and they would cry to God and they would repent of their evil ways. And, and when this happened, we had a shadow. We had a, we, had a, we had a sight, but we didn't see it too well. But we had this sight that when these wicked and evil people who broke the law of God and broke the commandments of God, broke his statutes, worshipped other gods, killed their children to, on the altars of Molech and Baal. And, and, and when they came to this place, because the prophets thundered, that they, they humbled themselves and they wept and they broke before God. And they turned to God and they said, 
said, God, forgive us. There, there was something in this God that man was not too quick to see, but he was merciful. He was merciful every single time that they turned to God. Not when they said, okay, God, look, give us a year to show you we mean it. No. It was in the absolute blackness of their, of their rebellion. It was, it, was, it was when they're in Babylon in their sin. That they cried to God in repentance and God heard them and God was stirred and he gave them mercy. And it was like, God was like, do you see me? Do you see me? Do you think I'm counting on you? Do you think I'm hoping in you? Do you think I'm depending on you to be faithful? Because he knows, we don't, we still think there's some nobility or good in us that, okay, God, this time I really mean it. Well, you meant it last time. God knows that. You meant it, your heart meant it. You, you really did mean it. But, but the problem is, is we kept turning back to religion, our Christian religion. We kept turning back to that only to go through the cycle again. And the God is angry. And we have to appease the God. And we would go through our, our, our forms and our traditions and our procedures to somehow get God's mercy again. So something happened at the birth of Jesus. The preaching changed. The message changed. Because the covenant was changing. And God was instituting through his son a new covenant. For the sake of time, I reference the scripture of John chapter 1. Where it says that the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. And in the gospel of Luke, it says up until John, the law and the prophets were preached. But since then, the preaching changed. With Jesus. It was, it was the herald of a message of good news. Good news. Because for the first time. God didn't have to have a shadow. Or a type. He came. In his son Jesus Christ. He came. And he perfectly, Jesus perfectly demonstrated and expressed without missing it one bit, one degree. This is what the father's like. This is what the God is like. And though he is angry with sin, he loves the sinner. He loves you. And he doesn't want you to die. And he doesn't want to punish you. And he doesn't want you to live in fear. And he doesn't want you to keep him at arm's length. And and practice some kind of religion. But not be intimate with him. He doesn't want that. 
He wants you to draw near to him, but because you're scared to do that, he has drawn near to you through me. And Jesus loved the people. He didn't leave anyone out. As a matter of fact, when they arrested Jesus and they were about to crucify him the next day and they had the courts and they had all the charges laid up against Jesus as to why he deserved death and they had all these types of witnesses that contradicted each other even in their statements of testimony, not one person, not one person, not one prostitute, not one Pharisee, not one Sadducee, not one, not one lawyer, not one tax collector, not one person could come forward and say, I would like to say that he did not love me. Nobody could say that Jesus didn't love him. There was no charge like that brought against him. And God, through his son, Jesus Christ, as we just read in 1 John chapter 4, perfectly demonstrated the love of God. This is, this is it. This is, this is how my love has been manifested to you. Herein is love. Not that you love me. I loved you. And the only possibility that you have to love me is to let me love you. You're going to have to put your arms down. You're going to have to stop stiff-arming me. You're going to have to stop mistrusting me. You're going to have to stop thinking in your terms of religion that this God really cares about you. And he wants to come into the recesses of your heart and life and he wants to heal you. And he wants to help you and he wants to love you. You know why you're afraid? You know why you're scared? Because you don't know my love. Because if you knew my love, which God can only love perfectly, my love would drive out your fear. But we have more Christians terrified, living in fear, living in torment, going to secular counselors because they can't deal with life. They're, they're, they're messed up. Their emotions are messed up. They live in fear. They live in torment. They're scared. When there is this God, this real God, who said, there is, no, there, there is no way, no way any of you can say that I don't love you. No one can say, I'm against you. And, I, and, and God is not making any ex, excuse about the persecutions and troubles of life, because God knows there is. It's not his fault. It's our rebellion. It's God's goodness that came to us when we didn't deserve it and gave us a way out. And the Bible says that perfect love drives out all fear. And maybe you're here this morning. You say, what do I need to do to have peace? Let God love you. But you tell yourself God loves you because it's your theology. But you don't know that God loves you. You don't know it. You can know it. You should know it. You should want to know his love. But God's kept at a distance. I went to church Sunday. God must be really happy with me. Maybe I'll see you next Sunday, God. That's not what God wants. I want to be intimate. I want to love you. 
Now, if, if you really want to see my love perfected in you, because I'm in you, because it's the only way you can love, because let me, let me say this to you as well. <clears throat> the, one of the chief things that all people want everywhere <clears throat> is I want somebody to love and I want to be loved. That is a human need. And we want that. But please listen to me. Apart from knowing God and apart from being loved by God, you do not have the capacity to love. There will be poison in your love. We call it manipulation. Aggression. That, that begins to exist within my love. And eventually that's what's going to come out. But the, the, the capacity to love it all is because God loves me. We love him because he first loved us. And then because we receive his spirit, we begin to love one another. That should be one of the chief things in the, in the church life. People should say, you know, well, what does God want me to do? What's my ministry? Just start loving everybody. Just start loving everybody. If, it's, if that's a challenge for you, then just start loving the people in your life that are good to you. Just start loving them. Just, just, well, how do I do that? Pray, ask the Lord, and then just begin to do some kind things, just some kind gestures, whatever it may be. Write them a card, uh, take them out to have a coffee, um, just express your love. And, and, and then as you begin to exercise that, you're, you're going to be able to get to the place, say, okay, now, Holy Ghost, let's, let's love somebody that's been gossiping about me. Let, let's just, let's really get into this now. Let, let, let's love somebody that's been slandering me. Let's love somebody that, that, that's not even in the house of God. They're just on the streets of our world that I think they're, they're, they're just destroying the planet. Help me love them. My, my reflexes and responses are not great. I'm grateful for, for God in me because, Lord Jesus, help people. I'm watching things going on in our country and in our world. I'm watching people climb a, a, a pole in New York City and tearing down the American flag and hanging a Palestinian flag. I said, they ought to be shot. That's what I say. And I mean it in my emotions and everything. And then the Holy Spirit's like, they'd go to hell. Where's the love of God in you? And, and, and I'm immediately convicted. Praise God, right? Because thank the Lord, he can convict me and, and, and cause me to recognize you're, you're not exercising my spirit or my love. That's your spirit. Calling down thunder on the people. I told John when he said that, you don't know what spirit you're of, John. And that, and that happens. To, I know none of you feel that way with what you see going on in the country. I know whenever you see an atrocity, whenever you see a protest, you fall on your knees and you cry and you weep for their souls. I know that about you, but I'm not like you. I'm like Newcomb. I mean, you know, these are things going on with me. So it, it helps me realize I don't naturally love like this, but because God loves me. 
And when I realize I am the worst of the worst and God loves me, then God help me to love people. Help me to grow in this. I want this perfected love because it, it drives out fear from my life. Drives out fear. But, but here's, here's one of the prom- problems is that men do not, men don't run to things that threaten them. They, they, don't, they don't do that. They're very cautious around things that threaten them. Things that they're afraid of. Things that they feel are dangerous. That, that you know, could bring my harm. I, I'm not going to just run to that because I'm exercising caution. And in the church world, we have, I believe, failed to really preach the new covenant of Jesus Christ. We have been very... Um, I, I would say, and I'm talking about the church world, we've been very guilty of mixing Jesus with Moses. But Moses loved Jesus. Moses knew it. He saw. As, as a matter of fact, when he was about to die, he told Israel, you're not going to do this. It really wasn't ever given with the hopes that you would do it. God knew you wouldn't do it. You just thought you could, so God had to give it, so you would know you can't. And when you realized that you couldn't, then you were going to need what? Mercy, not justice. And you were going to look to God for mercy, and God was going to do what? He was going to give you mercy. And so Moses knew that. And Moses just begins to go before God when God is upset with the children of Israel. And Israel is rebellious against the Lord. He's done so many wonderful things for them. And Israel is rebellious. And God says to Moses that, look, I'm going to send an angel and I'm not going to go with you anymore. Because lest I destroy Israel in the way because they're stiff-necked. And, 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 and they would just stir up my anger and, and I'm not going to go with them anymore. Moses knew. He knew. He didn't have any of this. He wrote the first five books of this. He wrote Job. He didn't have any of it. He didn't have Psalms. He didn't have Proverbs. He didn't have the New Testament, but he knew because he had been face to face with God. So he said to the Lord, if you don't go, I don't go. Now, God, you said that I've found grace in your sight. If I have, then show me who you are. Show me your glory. If I've really found grace in your sight, I love that. Moses was all about grace. Moses wasn't all about the law. All Moses ever knew his whole life was grace. You know why he broke the Ten Commandments when he came down and everybody was dancing around the idols? And his brother Aaron had made the idols. You know why he broke them? To keep it under grace. If I institute this law today, you're all dead. Aaron, God was coming to kill you. I stopped him. And then Moses took the golden calf and he stamped it and burned it and threw it into the river. He removed all evidence of their sin. And then he goes back up into the mountain with God. He says, if you don't go, we don't go. If you said that I found grace in your sight, then show me who you are, 
grace, on the basis of grace, not on the basis that I deserve it, not on the basis, hey, you called me to this and I didn't ask for it, not on the basis of, hey, they all worshiped a golden calf. I didn't. I've been up in the mountain fasting and praying. I'm so holy. God, I want to see your glory. No, no, none of that. On the basis of grace that you say I have with you, show me your glory. And God says to him, we'll do it in the morning. There's a rock beside me. And in this rock, there's a cleft in it, a cave. And Moses, I'm going to put you in the the cave and I'm going to put my hand over that and I'm going to walk past you. But when I get to you, I'm going to stop. I'm going to declare my name. I'm I'm going to reveal my glory to you, Moses. And after I do that, I'm going to walk past you. I'm going to take my hand off of that cave and you can look at the backside of me. What a day. The Bible says in the New Testament, Corinthians, that that rock was Christ. And Moses, in this shadow and type, Moses was taken by God and he was put into Christ. And when he was put into Christ, he could know God. And God would reveal himself to Moses as the Lord. The Lord God. Merciful. Kind. Forgiving. Pardoning. Not letting the sinner get away with his sin, but pardoning and forgiving. And there's Moses in that cave while God is declaring his essence to him. And I know Moses is in there saying, I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew it. I knew that's what he was like. But I want to say something to you, beloved. You cannot know the love of God unless you're in Christ. You cannot know the love of God. You cannot know the grace of God. You cannot know the peace of God. You will live a life of mixtures of fear and stress and anxiety. One day your life's falling apart. Next day for about two hours you've got hope. And then for the next 22 hours you're discouraged and despairing. And and life's a whirlwind. And you're up and you're down. And everything's blowing out of proportion. And you don't know what that howling wilderness that was prophesied of today. Is, is life for everybody but if you look at Jesus and walk on that water with him then you can walk in the midst of the storms of life Jesus even said don't let your heart be troubled you believe in God as Ethan said to us but, but to know God to know this God of love you, you can't know him standing around on the peripheral God as he did Moses, has to do it with you, and he has to put you in the rock. And the reason you're letting God put you in the rock is because, God, if I've found grace, because there's grace, I trust you. I've got no one else to trust. So because there's grace, I'm trusting because I don't want to go forward with life without you. But today, preachers, And for a long, long time, we mix Moses into this because eventually we put it back on the man. 
eventually put it back on the person and we begin to tell you things you need to do. I'm going to give you 10 principles. If you leave here today with these 10 things, begin to do them in your life, then you're going to improve your life and you're going to do better. And it's self-improvement. It's not grace transformation. It's just self-improvement. And, and we go and we try to do that. And what do we do? We fail. And then after we fail, but we tried so hard, New Year's is coming up. Oh, we're going to make new resolutions. We're going to lose all of our fat from Bluebell ice cream in a couple of months. It's just going to be it's so wonderful. And all these things are good. And, 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 and maybe we do lose the weight from the Bluebell ice cream, but we're sinning in this way and we're missing God in this way. And we're missing God over here. And what do we do? We go back, give me another principle, pastor. Give me something else to do. Tell me how I can make myself better. Tell me how I can do this. Tell me how I can do that. When the piece is let God put you in the rock. And let God declare to you who he is and and let God give you his spirit that drives the fear of torment out of your life. And the God of peace comes. And when he came, when he came, he didn't look like what we thought. He didn't. And, And the evidence is this. He wasn't scary. He wasn't threatening. He he wasn't fearful, if you will. He was beautiful. So much so that the children ran to him. The sinners and the prostitutes believed that I can engage him. And unlike the religious leaders I've always known and grown up with, he's not going to reject me. There's something in me that just tells me that if I invited Jesus to come over for dinner tonight, he would come. And nobody else would come. Nobody else wants to be in my house. But there's just something about him that I I just ask, I believe it. Jesus, would you come to my house tonight? Yeah. I'd love to be with you. I want our church to be like that. That that spirit of Christ, that, that the spirit of love, spirit of hope that that God gives us, that drives the fear and the torment that people are dealing with. Because a lot of you came in here today afraid of this God, with a guilty conscience, with shame. So much, it's hard to even lift your head. So scared that somebody might really see what you're like. I know what you're like. Because you're like me. Sorry. That's what you're like. You're not fooling me. I know what shame is. Do you ever... Have you ever wished, have you ever desired, I just wish I could be somebody else? You ever felt that way? You ever said, I just don't like who I am. I hate who I am. Tired of who I am. I wish I could be somebody else. I I don't understand today in a world where people are just like, I'm uncomfortable in my skin. Um, I don't like who I am. I, 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 I don't know if 
what I was born was what I'm supposed to be. And, you know, I'm not really comfortable with my gender or something like that. I hear that. It's not crazy to me. What's crazy to me is there's only one person that ever lived and proved that I can make you new. But they don't come to him. They go to physicians and doctors and say, change me. And they're just as unhappy afterwards as they were before. Rather than coming to this God, is it possible that he loves me? Well, on what basis do I think that he could love me? The cross? The sacrifice of his son? The, the, the demonstration of his love? God, if, if there's hope with you, if there's grace with you, would you help me? Would you make me new? I've, I've oftentimes wanted to be somebody else. I want you to read this with me in John 3. Last scripture I'm going to read. <clears throat> I love this portion of scripture. But he tells us in, in John 3, verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born again when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say to you, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto you, you must be born again. You know what this says to me? I don't have to be me anymore. Because I, I really don't like me. Some of you admire me. I, I just spent a little time with me. <laughs> Lord. I don't like my heart. I don't like my thoughts. I don't like my lust. I, I don't like my person. I'm probably going to get a lot of sympathy response. I'm not asking for that. I'm quite content. <clears throat> it's really a good place. <clears throat> it wouldn't be. It would not be a good place if Jesus hadn't said this. But because he said this, it's a good place. Lee, you can be born again. We can start over with you. But it'll be different this time. You won't be like you. You'll be like me. I'll conform you to my image. Do you like me? Oh, Jesus, I do. I like you. I love you. You're amazing. I'd love to be like you. It's impossible for me. It is. But it's not impossible for me, Jesus says. So you can be made new. You don't have to be like this anymore. Well, how do I do that, God? Believe. Whoever believes in the only begotten Son of God will have everlasting life. But here's the belief. Quit holding me at a distance. John 3, 17 through 19. Come to the light. Come, come to the light. Come to me just as you are. Believe. Believe that I love you. Believe that I'll help you. Believe that I'll do this for you. And I will. And, and Lee, I'll drive all fear out from your life. 
my love will do it. I'm not going to counsel it away. It's not, hey, two years in church and you're going to do better. No, when, when, when you allow me to love you perfectly, you will realize that the fear is gone. It's gone. There was something that happened when Jordan's my daughter. She leads our worship. Where is she? There she is. There was something that happened when, I guess Jordan was about six or seven years old. I'm not sure her exact age, but she, she went out of the house into our driveway and I'm uh, just going to play. And so she goes out there and all of a sudden I hear this, this scream. This is like just horrible scream. So I knew she wasn't happy or playing or this was good. So I just bolted out of the house and ran out there to her. And there were two Doberman pitchers in our driveway and they were aggressive. They were threatening. She was terrified. She was screaming for her life. Her fear paralyzed her. She couldn't move. At least that's what I observed when I got out there. But when she sensed my presence and knew that her daddy loved her, and I was her only hope, she turned her back to her fear and ran and jumped, bolted up into my arms, and I caught her. And I held her. And in a moment, she was safe. She wasn't afraid anymore. She wasn't scared. And that little seven-year-old girl took that little finger, which she does so well, And she just began to boss those dogs. She commanded them. She told them, shut up, get out of here. You know, everything else that she could possibly think. Why? Because in the safety of my love, she had authority over her fear. I do too. In the safety of my father's love. I have authority over my fear. And I have the blessing of a new birth to where everything in in my life that deserves the wrath of an angry God instead has been removed from me and washed away from me. And this God who has to judge the sinner, he did. He judged me and he judged me in his son and he put me into death and raised me up into life. And now I'm new. I'm not that anymore. That carnal man that deserves God's wrath got it at the cross of Jesus. But this new life in me, this new heart, this new spirit is not under the judgment of God. And this is who I am now. This, this old is passing away. But this new is forever. It's eternal. And it's in right relationship with my father. And I know. I know he loves me. I know this. I know he wants to be with me. I don't understand that. I don't want to be with me. But he wants to be with me. He wants to spend. And you know what? The most enjoyable moments of my life. 
include him. He's wonderful. He's so wonderful. Now you can pretend. Think there's something good in you. Make a vow to God. Appease the angry God. Or you can tell yourself that you know God's love. And continue to live in fear and stress and anxiety. Or you can let him love you. You can let him take you up into his arms. Drive your fears away. And the thing that was so threatening to you now, you in Christ have authority to drive it away, to rebuke it from your life every day. Every day. Because he is your life. He is your loving father. And he loves so perfectly. Stand with me, if you will. Come live in me all my life. Take over. Come breathe in me and I will rise on eagles' wings. Come live in me all my life. Take over. Come breathe in me and I will rise on eagles. Sing that with me. Come live in me. You sing it. All my life. Take over. If I found grace with you. Come breathe in me. And I will rise. On eagle. One more time. Come live in me. Sing it, church. All my take over. Come breathe in me. That's beautiful. Let's do it again. Let's do it again. Come live in Sing it. Come on. It's our prayer. It's our desire. I trust you, Lord. Trust you to love me. Take over. Come breathe in me. And I will rise on eagle. If you believe. That God loves. If you believe that God demonstrated that love. To you and for you through his son Jesus. And you need help. You need hope. You need freedom. You want to be somebody different than you are. It's not in your vows. It's in being born again. Just draw near.